Our second Bible reading on page 11 is Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 32. So I say this and affirm in the Lord that you are to no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves up to indecent behaviour for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, ridding yourselves of falsehood, speak truth each of one of you with his neighbour, because we are parts of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. The one who steals must no longer steal, but rather he must labour, producing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and slander must be removed from you, along with all malice. <clears throat> be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But it would help me if you could keep that page open so we can keep looking at those verses during the sermon. Let's now bow our heads and pray for God to be at work among us through the preaching of his own word. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Father, we want to hear Jesus' voice. Please by your spirit, would we hear it now through the preaching of his word? And would we then follow him? Would we follow Jesus to the glory of his name? Amen. <clears throat> well, I'd like to start this morning by showing you two jackets, one old and one new, fairly new. This uh, old jacket here is in um, bad shape. Uh, you should be able to see that the, uh, the lining is, is coming away and the padding, the insulation, you shouldn't be, that shouldn't be visible, but it is visible. 
um, and it can easily sort of be, be pulled out, which is not good. There's another rip uh, down here. That's not good. The, the cuffs are frayed. Look, that's, um, that's pretty embarrassing to see. Um, this jacket, if someone said, oh, let me take that from you so I can, so I can hang it up for you, I think I would say, oh, I'll hang it up myself. Um, I would be embarrassed to hand it over. But then, <clears throat> here, here is another jacket, and uh, this is uh, fairly new. And as you can see, there, there's just there's nothing embarrassing about this this jacket. Uh, there's nothing uh, shameful. There are no rips. Lining is in good condition. Cuffs aren't frayed. It's um, it's in it's in good shape. You might be wondering why I haven't thrown the old jacket away. And the answer is I should have done. I, I should have got rid of it. Betsy tells me it is beyond repair. But I found it hard to throw it away. I've had it for so long that it's become very familiar to me, that, that old jacket. I'm so used to reaching for it and, and putting it on that it's difficult for me to put it in the trash where it belongs. But this, this new jacket, I've got no reason not to reach for this. As you've seen, it's a good jacket in good condition, and yet I find over the past few months I've just been more likely to reach for the old jacket despite its shameful condition than to reach for this perfectly good new jacket. And so Betsy has been very gently, very patiently suggesting that I should just get rid of the old jacket and put on the new. And in today's Bible passage, Paul is similarly encouraging his readers to get rid of something old and shameful and put on something new and good. In verse 22, he says, rid yourselves of the old self. Then he goes on to say in verse 24 that his readers should put on the new self. A negative action is required and a positive action. They're to get rid of the old self and put on the new self. And for the rest of the sermon, we're going to look at both those actions in turn, beginning with the negative. Get rid of the old self. That's our first heading. Get rid of the old self. The book of Ephesians begins with some wonderful information. Believers have every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Blessings such as the forgiveness of sins, personal access to God the Father, and a glorious future inheritance guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Here in chapter 4 of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul turns to the question of how such richly blessed people should live day by day. What kind of lifestyle goes with those astonishingly good blessings, forgiveness of sins, personal access to God the Father, a glorious future inheritance guaranteed by the Spirit? What kind of lifestyle day by day goes with such good blessings? 
we can tell right away from the first verse of the passage that the lifestyle of believers, these blessed believers, should be different from the lifestyle of the rest of the world. In verse 17, Paul talks about the way the Gentiles walk, meaning the way all the non-Jewish nations live. And Paul tells his readers they should no longer walk in that way. Their lifestyle will have to change. Paul repeats the point in verse 22 where he says, in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of the old self. But Paul knows that his readers are very likely to reach for the old familiar jacket of their former way of life. So like Betsy persuading me to give up my old ripped jacket, Paul persuades his readers to give up their old lifestyle. And like Betsy pointing to the embarrassing rips in my old jacket, Paul points to the rips, the shameful aspects of his reader's former way of life. The first rip in the jacket, as it were, is the thinking that non-Christian behavior is based on. The thinking it's based on. In verse 17, Paul speaks of the futility of the minds of non-Christians. Paul says the same thing in a different way in verse 18, where he speaks about non-Christians being darkened in their understanding. If you're a non-Christian here today, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for being willing to listen to what the Bible says about you. When Paul says those things in verses 17 and 18, he's really not trying to be offensive or nasty. He's speaking with loving clarity. From the Bible's point of view, the non-Christian mind is given over to aims and goals that are ultimately futile because those aims and goals don't fit with God's purpose for the world. Trying to play checkers at a chess tournament is futile. It's pointless. And it's like that with non-Christian thinking. From the Bible's point of view, when non-Christians think about life in this world, they're like someone trying to play checkers at a chess tournament. Their thinking doesn't fit with God's reality. Once again, when the Bible says these things, it's not trying to be unpleasant. It's trying to be clear. In the ancient world, the futility of non-Christian thinking was a little easier to see than it is today. People in the ancient world worshipped man-made idols, mini-gods made by human craftsmen out of metal or wood. Earlier in the service, we all read Psalm 115, which talks about how pointless it is for people to worship idols with their mouths that can't speak and their eyes that can't see and their ears that can't hear. I'm sure you can remember from when we read it earlier. In the modern world, non-Christians don't usually bow down to metal or wooden idols like those. 
But idol worship does live on. It's harder to see, but it lives on. Idol worship based on futile thinking still happens today. People devote themselves to fitness or career or home improvement or investment gains or glamorous vacations or the fortunes of their favorite sports team or just Netflix and chill. Keep those things in their proper place and there's nothing wrong with them. But people don't keep them in their proper place. People treat them as their guiding star. They treat them as their pathway to personal fulfillment. And that's futile thinking. Because none of those things can provide ultimate fulfillment. I'm sure if you've watched someone who is obsessed with their favorite sports team and they have the great joy, often very rare joy, of seeing that sports team lift the championship trophy at the end of the season and that friend of yours seems to have fulfillment and joy and couldn't be happier but then a few months later next season and uh, they're down in the dumps because their team has cratered. It wasn't lasting fulfillment. It wasn't ultimate fulfillment. People look to those things as sources of meaning, but none of them make life truly meaningful. The thinking that drives non-Christian living is futile. So don't reach for the jacket of your former way of life because look, there's a nasty rip in the lining. The thinking behind that former way of life is futile. It's a rip in the lining. When believers who should know better go back to our old idol worship, that old familiar idol worship, whatever it might be, worshipping fitness or career or vacations or sports team or whatever it might be, we are like chess players trying to play checkers at a chess tournament. We should know better. We're chess players. When we go back to our old idol worship we're like chess players trying to play checkers at a chess tournament. Idol worship is not how we should live in God's world. So can I ask you, if you're a Christian here today, in your day-to-day -day life, are you worshipping something other than Jesus? Are you devoted to something more than to him? And that's how you used to live. And it might feel comfortable and familiar, that former way of life, that old idol worship, like an old familiar jacket. But there is a rip in the jacket, a rip in the lining. Take off that jacket. Darkened, futile thinking isn't the only rip in the jacket. At the end of verse 18, Paul moves on from darkened minds to hard hearts. He says in verse 18 that non-Christian Gentiles are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So the second rip in the jacket is hard-heartedness. Paul's not saying that non-Christians lack compassion. 
non-Christians can be just as compassionate or more compassionate than Christians. Paul's talking about hard-heartedness towards God. There is a rebelliousness in the non-Christian heart. And that's another reason not to reach for the jacket of our former way of life. It has a second rip in it, hard-heartedness towards God. If I think about my own life, when I was a non-Christian, I didn't pray or read the Bible. I just wasn't interested in God. I wasn't interested in talking to him or hearing what he has to say in the Bible. And now that I'm a Christian, I find I can still reach for that old jacket, not praying, not reading the Bible, especially when my normal routines are disrupted. So when I was back in Britain for Christmas, I reached for that old jacket, not praying, not reading the Bible. It's the old familiar way of life, so comfortable, so easy to reach for. When you don't need to factor in prayer and Bible reading into your timetable, well, there's no need to miss out on 20 minutes of sleep. How easy it was for me to put that old jacket on, but there's a rip in the lining. Rebelliousness, hard-heartedness towards God. God wants his people to pray. He wants us to ask for his help, both for ourselves and for others. And he wants us to listen to his voice, which is heard through the scriptures. When I reached for that old jacket, not setting aside time for prayer and Bible reading, while I was reliving my old rebelliousness. I shouldn't have reached for that jacket. Christians trust in God. We don't rebel against him. Those who trust in God should demonstrate our faith in him by getting rid of the old self with its rebellious attitude towards God. In verse 19, there's a third rip in the jacket, a third reason not to reach out for our pre-Christian way of life. The third rip is indecent behavior. Paul says in verse 19, they have given themselves up to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity. It doesn't take long for futile thinking combined with hard-heartedness towards God to lead to indecent behavior. If you're someone who hasn't been a Christian all your life, uh, if you've got a before and after in your personal testimony, then I expect you'd agree that when you look at your pre-Christian former way of life, you see plenty of indecent and shameful actions in those years behavior you wouldn't want anyone here today to know about. I'd certainly say that about my own teenage years before I became a Christian. And that is a third reason not to reach out for the comfortable, familiar jacket of the old self. When we slip back into our former way of life, it's likely to be only a matter of time before our behavior becomes indecent in some way. I said at the start that I would be ashamed if I had to hand over my old jacket to someone who said, let me take that jacket and ha hang it up for you. I'd be embarrassed because of its condition. And in a similar way, we should be motivated 
to get rid of the old South because of its shameful impurity and indecency. That should motivate us to get rid of the old South. Now, I have to say, when I think of the non-Christians I know, the non-Christians in, in my life, I have to say, I see very little indecent behavior in their lifestyle. In many ways, they are very admirable people. And I was thinking about this while preparing this sermon. But the Bible says that God sees the heart. And sin can happen there, in the heart. In fact, that's where sin begins. In a person's inner thoughts and fantasies. And my guess is that if my non-Christian friends were totally honest about their inner lives, my guess is they would admit there is a lot of indecency and impurity there. Other people may not see it, but God sees it. And that's probably where the indecency shows up for most Christians when they reach for the old familiar jacket of their former way of life, when they put on the old self. A giveaway sign that you've done that, that you put on the old self, is indecent thoughts and fantasies showing up in your heart. It's a nasty rip in the jacket. Don't put it on. Get rid of the old self. Well, let's turn now from the negative action to the positive action. Paul tells his readers in verse 24 to put on the new self. And that's our heading for the second part of the sermon. Put on the new self. Today's passage isn't just about saying no wonderfully, it's also about saying yes. When Betsy suggests that it might not be a good idea for me to wear my old jacket, she's not sending me out jacketless to shiver in the wind. There's another jacket hanging on our pegs. It's a good one. It has no rips. I've shown it to you earlier. And God has similarly provided us with a new self, a new way of living. It's not futile. It's not rebellious, and it's not indecent. It has no rips. It's a good way of living. But it won't jump onto our bodies automatically. We need to put it on consciously, day by day. Paul says, you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Of your minds. We will need to decide in our minds to put on the new self, day by day. It's worth saying at this point, before we go any further into the subject of putting on the new self, that Paul is not talking about how to become a Christian. He's telling people who are already Christians how they should now live. And that's clear from verse 20. In verse 20, Paul says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. He takes it for granted that his readers have already learned Christ. They've already learned in their hearts that Jesus is God's King. Then in the next verse, verse 21, Paul double checks that he's speaking to Christians. Unlike uh, most of Paul's letters, this one doesn't have special greetings for particular people at the end of the letter. So it's likely this letter was sent to a group of churches that Paul hadn't himself recently visited. He wasn't sure who would receive and read this letter. And that's why he double-checks in verse 21 that he's writing to people who are already Christians. He says, 
if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. Every segment of that verse, verse 21, has something to do with the word of God, the message about Jesus. And it's the word of God, the good news about Jesus, that makes a person a Christian. All we need to do to receive salvation and eternal life through Jesus is to respond to the good news about him with faith. So when Paul urges his readers in verse 24, put on the new self, he's not saying become a Christian through self-improvement. He's not saying that. If you're someone on the outside looking in, you're not yet a Christian, the way to come in is to put your trust in Jesus. Please come inside. Come in to the church, God's people. Put your trust in Jesus. Believe in him. Receive his offer. All the good things that he offers. And then once that's happened, you'll be in a position to put on the new self. Those of us who are already following Jesus should put on this new self. We should reach for the new unripped jacket. In verses 25 through 32, the second paragraph on page 11, Paul gives us some specifics. And each of his examples involves the life of the local church. You can see that most clearly at the end of verse 25, where Paul says, we are parts of one another. We are parts of one another. Earlier in Ephesians, at the end of chapter 1, Paul described the church as the body of Christ. Here in chapter 4, verse 25, he goes back to that theme, we're parts of one another, he says, meaning we belong to one another as different parts of the same body. Life within the church is still in view at the end of the passage in verse 32, where Paul says, Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. It shouldn't surprise us that putting on the new self has a lot to do with the local church, because the church has been Paul's big theme throughout this letter. Chapter 3, verse 10 says that God's intent was that now through the church, the wisdom of God should be made known. So the church is God's global spectacle, the global display of his wisdom, and each local church is the neighborhood showroom of God's global spectacle. That's why putting on the new self is so closely related to the local church. God's plan isn't for lots of individual Christians to shine with newness in isolation. No, he wants us to put on our unripped new coat so that the local church will be the neighbourhood showroom that it really ought to be, that God wants it to be. Each of Paul's examples in verses 25 through 32 seems to be particularly tailored for church life, beginning with telling the truth. Instead of putting on the old jacket, telling very convenient lies, 
We're to put on the new jacket and speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, Paul says. Harmonious church life is absolutely impossible when people are lying to one another. We have to be able to trust one another, to trust one another's word. In verse 26, Paul moves on to anger. He says, be angry and yet do not sin. Paul's realistic. He recognizes that Christians will get angry about things, but that anger mustn't lead to sin, he says. He goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So we mustn't turn in for the night with steam still coming out of our ears. That's the old self. Instead, by the time the sun goes down, we should figure out with God's help what to do with our anger. Maybe what's happened to make us angry can be quietly forgiven. Or maybe we will actually need to raise the matter with the person responsible. Or maybe all we can do is pray for God himself to do something to put the matter right. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Sometimes we may simply need to pray to God for him to take action. And with that prayer, we entrust it to him and we can go to bed without anger. Once we've prayerfully figured out the best next step to take with whatever it is that has made us angry, then the steam can stop coming out of our ears and we can sleep in peace, trusting in God. Uncontrolled anger, anger that doesn't stop at sundown, is toxic. It ruins Christian community. And that's probably why Paul goes on to say in verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. Our spiritual enemy, the devil, longs to ruin Christian community and uncontrolled anger among Christians gives him an opportunity to do that. Uncontrolled anger turns the local church into a little shop of horrors instead of the neighborhood showroom of God's global spectacle. A Christian who puts on the new self, that unripped jacket, will recognize the danger of uncontrolled anger and will deal with it in some godly way by sundown. In verses 28 and 29, the pattern is repeated with theft and also unwholesome speech. Putting on the new self means replacing those sinful habits with behavior that benefits the church. Instead of theft, producing good things so you have something to share with the one who has need, as Paul puts it. And instead of unwholesome speech, putting on the new self means speaking good words that will give grace to those who hear, that will be a gift to those who hear what you're saying. I hope we all see how Christian living isn't just about taking off the old jacket, getting rid of sinful behavior. It's also about putting on the new self. There is a good jacket for us to wear. There are constructive things we can do to benefit one another and make the local church the exhibition 
of God's wisdom that it's intended to be. Verses 30 through 32, the last few verses of the passage are summary verses. Verse 30 tells us that God himself is personally invested when we make that decision either to reach for the old self, that comfortable, familiar, sinful self, or instead put on the new self, created in righteousness and holiness. The Spirit of God, we're told in verse 30, is invested in that decision. The Holy Spirit keeps us following Jesus until Jesus returns. In the words of verse 30, he has sealed us for the day of redemption. And he's grieved when we reach for the old self, Paul says. The Holy Spirit will win the war in the soul of every true believer. But battles will be lost along the way. And it grieves the Holy Spirit when those battles are lost. That's a powerful motivation to reach for the new self and put it on. We shouldn't want to grieve our God, to grieve the Holy Spirit. Verses 31 and 32 summarize the passage by reminding us of the choice we face and the impact of that choice on the Christian community. Verse 31, all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. That's the old jacket. Take it off. Those things will harm the local church and grieve the Spirit of God. Instead, put on the new jacket. Verse 32, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. One way to think about verse 32, that final verse, is that in the church we should feel as safe with one another as we feel with Christ himself. Consider how safe you feel with Christ. He loves you so much that he took God's punishment for sin in your place when he died on the cross. Well, that just as, in verse 32, teaches us that we should feel similarly safe in the company of our fellow believers as we show kindness and compassion to one another and forgive one another. We should feel just as safe with one another as we feel with our God who has forgiven us in Christ. What a good jacket God has provided for us, this new self that we can put on, that he has created for us. With God's help, let's resolve to put it on. Let's bow our heads to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the salvation we have through Jesus. Forgiveness, eternal life. We know that without those things, we would be in no position to put on the new self. We wouldn't be able to put it on. 
it would be like a new coat of paint on a rusty car. But because of salvation through Jesus, we are in a position to put on this new self. Thank you for saving us. We pray, Father, for spiritual strength to put on the new self. Show us, Father, when we are on the point of reaching for the old self to put that on and help us by your power to instead reach for the new self that you offer us through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.